to the sort of circle, to the, what is it, a semi-circle? It is. Can you hear me? No? I think it is on. We do need to wait for Amanda, because she is crucial to our next topic of debriefing the San Quentin visit. I was not because I was ill. Yeah. So that was unfortunate. But the group was. There she is. Okay. Let's go for it. Hi. It's a group agreements. Should we use the mic also? Yeah. You know, I missed a class a few months ago, and I went online and listened to the class. And man, was I like, oh my gosh, we need to use the microphone all the time. Because when someone forgets, you can't hear. You can't hear, yeah. So it's an act of compassion for our, our classmates who can't be here today. <laughs> Let's use the mic. Okay, try on. Try on new processes, ideas, perspectives before automatically rejecting them because they are different than your experience. Be willing to step out of your comfort zone. It's okay to disagree. Disagreement is a necessary part of accepting differences. It's not okay to attack or blame self or others. This can happen on a verbal or nonverbal level. Practice self-focus. Use I statements. Pay attention to what you are feeling and thinking. Ask questions of self and other. Instead of jumping to conclusions, check out your assumptions. Notes. Giving advice is the vampire of spiritual care. You can choose to use I prefer no feedback as code. Practice both and, thinking and speaking. There are multiple realities of each person present. The notion of either or, right, wrong, good, bad, is not helpful in human relationships. It sets up a hierarchy of values. 100% responsibility. You know more than anyone what you need. Let go of all other things you need to be doing and be present in this process. Participation looks different for everyone. Be aware of how you learn and process information. Intent versus impact. There is a difference between what we intend and what the impact is on another. It is important to accept what the impact is, ooh, when the impact is negative and seek to understand why without jumping to explanation or apology. Assume benevolence of intent. Maintain confidentiality. Anything said of personal nature cannot be shared with the pers- without the person's permission. And if you want to talk to someone about what they said, ask permission. They can say yes, no, or maybe later. Move up and move back. Be aware of how much you are speaking. If you feel you are speaking a lot, let others speak. Ask yourself, wait, why am I talking? If you find yourself not talking, try to contribute some thoughts. Thank you. You're welcome. I uh, I really liked the expression came through in your reading. You know, I hear you hear, we hear I hear it a little differently every time because of that. It's it's good. So the San Quentin trip. 
I had really hoped to go, and I came down with a very bad respiratory infection and was actually feverish that day and in bed, so wasn't able to join the group. But I thought we could start with a debrief by, uh, Amanda, are you telling us what happened? Just generally the, the narrative. Excuse me for dropping this, guys. Hook it on. Uh, <laughs> and then we'll get into some questions and so forth. But just sort of a so that we know what happened. If, yeah. Uh, so we all met at San Quentin. Uh, there were a few comments about how beautiful the parking lot was. It kind of looked like driving into Disneyland. Uh, we waited. Uh, our friend Jacques was a little bit late, and I started trying to figure out like if we were there on the right day and stuff. So I think I called Gil. I called Christina. I called. Uh, I got Jacques' number from a secret source, and I called Jacques. He didn't answer. Um, but he showed up, and he ushered us in, and we got to do the like security thing and go back to our cars and put things back that we weren't supposed to bring. And uh, he really talked to us a lot about what it's like to be going in a prison he, and was really concise and clear about a lot of the things that were expected of us. Uh, but we made it on time for meditation in the chapel. So we did, like, I think they call it Sitting in the Fire is the name of the booklet. It's this, like, proprietary meditation program. And so we sat with those guys, and they were super nice and welcoming and kind and asked us questions and wanted to know about us and share about themselves. And then we went and ate lunch really fast in the garden, which has really beautiful flowers and plants. We walked across the yard where everyone was, not everyone, but everyone who was there. There were a lot of guys out um, doing things, playing basketball, running, chilling out. Like, And they were all really kind, I think. That was my experience. Over to some classrooms where we sat in on, a, on the GRIP program, uh, which is Guiding Rage into Power. And they're close to the end of their program. And it's a year-long program, so... Uh, they were pretty like comfortable with each other. They were gelled. The program was working. Um, they were peer led by like maybe a handful of guys. I don't know how. I don't remember how many, but there were a handful of peer leaders that were mostly leading the group. And then Jacques and was it Bob? I don't remember the other guy's name. I think it was. I think it was Bob. Um, they were there facilitating as well. We had a guy share a really personal um, remorse letter about that had to do with with his crime, which is a really uh, for me was really impactful because my experience has been that pe- people in prison don't want to talk about that issue with people they don't know because they're already defined by it and deal with it so much. But he was really open. He had done a lot of processing and just was willing to share that with us there, which was really impactful. Uh, and then we debriefed for about an hour when, when the, the grip program was over with, with Jacques and Bob um, in like the little cafeteria kind of place. Great. So who went? So, you know, the memory of an experience is held by the collective. So just as far as what happened, what would any of you add to what Amanda shared? I would add that I would add that we didn't all walk from the top area to the 
grip program across the yard. Some of us moved across the yard. Um, I would also add that one of the medical staff volunteered to push Beth's wheelchair all the way up the hill, which was very beneficial, I, I, or very helpful, I thought, um, to offer to serve a stranger in that way. I think that's all. Thank you. Other bits and pieces? F, what happened? Nadine? I'm confused with the difference between walk and move across the yard. Well, like in our group agreements, we it's because that doesn't walk. Sorry. It's okay. Well, it just we have it in the gr- agreement, so I figured mm-hmm. use the same language to move up and move back versus step up and step. Sorry. More inclusive. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, okay, so that's kind of the narrative or the chronology of what took place. What was it like to be in a place where there were so many restrictions? What kind of suffering did you encounter? So... So in contrast to your question, um, it was a beautiful, sun, sunny day. Um, there, there was some landscaping that was beautiful. Um, you can see out of the prison yard up a, up a hillside, you can actually see some people's homes. Uh, Jacques, um, one of the things we did while we were there was a debrief uh, of a, a visit that uh, had involved some children the week before, and um, Jacques had told one of the children, "It's like it's like a summer camp, the the prison yard with mm-hmm. all the the men um, exercising. Some of them had headphones on, which surprised me that they were allowed to have things like that. Um, yeah, just sort of like in juxtaposition of these are people who can't, who can't leave this this place." Um, there was a man there, uh, Jacques, called the Bird Man, and it struck me that birds are the only beings that move freely in mm-hmm. and out of the prison. Every single, like, all people are are restricted in their movement into and out of the prison. Um, even the the guards and other personnel have a, have a lot of security about their their movements. Um, there was uh, there was outdoor plumbing in the the prison yard, so. If you needed to use the bathroom, you did it in full sight of, of everyone. Mm. Um, yeah, so the um, there's so many volunteers that, that we don't get escorted um, anymore at San Quentin. So there's a lot of freedom of, of motion. So there were, for me, there were a lot of surprises in terms of how much how much beauty and openness and, and freedom there was. In contrast to your expectation that it would be more um, doer and kind right. Of well, I, yeah, I, I go into a different prison, so it's not like that everywhere. Ah, okay. So San Quentin is like the, you know, the luxury Hilton of prisons. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Only in the sections you saw. Oh yes. So so one of the it, it, like the entrance is Disney esque. 
But if you look off to like the left on one side, is is a much grimmer gray building in slight disrepair, and that's Death Row, and it's not as nice there. Yeah. What stood out for others? Dylan? Well, stood out for me, and that's such a such a rigid sort of um, very structured, limited environment. Was the sense of vulnerability that existed between these guys, the the way they could cry with each other and hold each other and support each other in such a way was which is was was very a transformative experience for me, at least to see that to see that. Mm-hmm. You know, as one person said, you know, the, you're you're sitting with some of the toughest guys that you'll ever sit with in this room, and to hear that in the beginning of the in the beginning of the afternoon program, and then to experience what transpired throughout those two and a half hours, and how open and supportive everyone was towards each other, and another surprising thing was how open they were to listening or hearing what we had to say about certain of the certain aspects of uh, the meeting and some things that they had said um, because we we you know we're just a bag of strangers showing up and they have this already kind of a you know closing to a year program closing up in a year and for us to first to be there was was a gift in a way for me was a gift to experience that of course i i, I noticed walking through the yard I was telling this to someone the other day. I, uh, when we first entered the, the prison, what I thought was a yard was not the yard. It's the yard is behind the yard. The, uh, behind the, the courtyard. So it's a flower garden and all these different things. And then, you know, we go to the chapel and then you actually walk to the yard. So mm-hmm. I had a different impression when I walked in. I was like, wow, this is really, this is really beautiful here. Is really nice. No one's around. And then you turn the corner and there's hundreds of guys just like, you know, doing their thing, doing their day off thing. And so I, uh, I caught myself, you know, we were walking or we were moving in a line. And at some point, um, I caught myself really, really close to the person in front of me, you know, um, tightening up the boundaries, you know. And that, that struck me, because when I noticed that, I, I, I took a step back, and I realized that I wasn't even looking around. I had this mm. sort of sort of very tighten, tightening feeling around. And uh, after, I'll say one more thing, after, the, after that afternoon program, coming back out um, and having that experience and walking through the yard was just like walking walking through the yard amongst family. And I felt a sense of safety that wasn't there before. And, and the way these guys communicated that to each other in that program, I think, affected me, and it potentially could affect the larger population in there. So it's amazing what they're doing there. I, I was 
I'm still kind of amazed at what Jacques has been up to for 23 years. How, so how many fellows were there in the, in the grip group? Does anyone remember? I mean, I knew approximately. At, about yeah, 30. Well, that's a significant number. And it was number. 10 of us. I just I want to second that the vulnerability really I think struck me more than anything and also thinking about how you can use vulnerability skillfully and as a chaplain so seeing how Jacques the ways in which he sometimes deployed his own vulnerability both with us and with the prisoners and how that could he just was really impressed with how skillfully he kind of navigated that and using sort of the idea of using all parts of yourself as a chaplain, even like the vulnerable parts, the hurt parts, the dark parts, and how that can be mutually healing. And sometimes how vulnerability can just be this like offloading where you're kind of using other people and you're kind of flailing, or it can be this real like seeing each other and healing each other kind of moment. And there was a point when the prisoner was reading his letter um, where Jacques was saying how so often when we're sharing things that the shame is in the details and they had him sort of share some of the details like this is the weapon that I used or you know he was talking about how they have the prisoners do that and um, the prisoner was wearing a hat and he was kind of looking down he really you could tell he was feeling a lot of shame and one thing Jacques had the group do was they he had him take off his hat and he asked him to make eye contact with a few people around the group and have people just see him because the last thing he's saying you want is to be seen when you're in this moment of shame but that's really healing and there was just this really skillful use of tenderness and vulnerability and um, I I really thought it was one of the most profound examples of spiritual healing work that I've ever been a part of so I really uh, loved it (laughs) excuse me I really appreciate that in the sense of um, you got to see kind of the live spiritual care exchange happen and how that that can even happen in a group um, and how particular it is. But the theme of shame comes up a lot um, in many settings in this work. Yeah, and it just seemed like Jacques wasn't approaching it like he was the professional and he had all the... He was, he was like really coming from a place of his own learning. Like you could see how the inner and outer work came together. Yeah. And the experience, he was able to anchor it, is what it sounded like. And, yeah, and, and it move it at the right pace. That's where the exp- expertise came in, yeah. not in assuming in a role. Totally, and even like in some humor or, you know, it was just like this comfort with it. Like he'd kind of lived through some of these things himself. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't guarded and like acting like, you know, I think that they would have like sniffed that out in oh, a second. Yeah. And I think his vulnerability and then the peer leaders sort of modeling vulnerability the way they created the safe space amongst you know I've rarely seen a a space that's safe especially among men for like emotional vulnerability to see that in a prison I mean it was really something you haven't used this word but what I'm hearing too is how authentic the um, 100% leadership yeah yeah it wasn't it wasn't excuse my language, but there was no No. bullshittiness (laughs) to the whole day. It was very, it's very real. Thank you. And at one point, somebody, they didn't say something bullshitty, but they kind of made a joke 
or something or were a little bit sarcastic and somebody called them on it right away. One of the peer, <coughs> one of the peer leaders. Um, I, I was really, I wasn't surprised by how nervous I was beforehand <laughs> and afraid of getting overwhelmed. And I was thinking the whole and connecting with all of you and in my with my face and and feeling really grateful for Juliana and the time we had before in the car and after in the car and because I was I just didn't want to numb out you know and and part of what struck me was this whole thing of like when we were in pauses with the guys. I'm going, okay, what am I supposed to say? Like, how friendly am I supposed to be? Or is it too friendly? Or, you know, is it okay to, like, look at somebody and say hi? You know, and Jacques gave us some instructions. And the reality was I didn't have to worry about that at all because they were all so warm and welcoming and came up to me. Most people, like, look at me and wonder, am I supposed to? Can she talk? Am I supposed to talk to her? I mean, people do weird stuff around disabled people socially when they don't know them, right? And they just were like, made beelines to all of us and said, Hi, how are you? Nice to see you. So the guy sitting next to me was like chatting a lot. And it was really, I, I just, it was, I felt, I left, I'm still processing, but I left feeling like I'd made a bunch of new friends, which was, was surprised me a lot. Oh, wow, thanks. And and I also carried this like sadness the whole time because I knew there was a lot of suffering going on that I couldn't see mm-hmm. right close, right there. Yeah. And one guy had been there for thirty, what thirty two years, and he's getting out this month. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So the group was celebrating and saying goodbye to him and all this stuff. Anyway, I'll stop. <laughs> what a journey. I I have a curiosity and and wonder if uh, how this connected to some of the you know you're writing your dharmology paper while this is going along how this connected with some of the the dharma principles that you carry with you to make sense of life and experiences? Um, One thing that really struck me um, as like a Dharma lesson was in the first meditation group that we witnessed, um, there was an opportunity for the, both the group members and the chaplaincy students to ask questions. And so I asked a question to the group members that was um, more or less what, how, what way of being does a chaplain have that's most effective for you? Or like how, how do chaplains and volunteers um, act that, that serves you the most? And... Um, to paraphrase, some of the responses I got were um, just show up and treat us like people. And, and 
you know, people are people and we're people just like everybody else. And I don't know why, to me, that was so, such a profound lesson in chaplaincy because I think I, I, like I knew that all along. Um, but, and obviously that you four teachers share that with us, that sometimes just our presence is the, the best thing we can offer or something. But hearing that statement come from actual people that one serves um, really made an impact on me and made me look at my own experience of chaplaincy and think maybe I try to show up as like a a friend or like a enlightened leader or something or someone that has answers instead of just showing up mm. as just a person and interacting with just other people. Um, so... I don't know. That was a big Dharma lesson. Thank you. Great. Is there anyone who hasn't spoken who was there who would like to say a little something, maybe about what the debrief was was like at the end of the? It's and it was an hour or more. That's that's a quite a conversation, I imagine. Hello, everyone. Um, I don't have any thoughts at this moment about the debrief, but I'm sure if I thought about it a bit longer, um, I could. It was, I mean, I just echo what everyone says. It was a very powerful experience um, and lots of like light and humor and beauty and... Um, Yeah, healing that we saw, um, which was, yeah, um, a moment that stuck out for me, um, as Johanna uh, um, said, was when the prisoner took off his hat and um, Jacques said, you know, can you make eye contact with a few people and he was able actually to go around and make contact with basically everyone in the room, which was, you know, like above and beyond what he was asked to do. And it was so touching. And then um, when the, after that, when, so the prisoners checked in about that experience for them and with him. And then the chaplains were asked to each go around and speak a bit about, you know, their overall experience in that session and I burst into tears unexpectedly um I wasn't emotional at that point but I suddenly became emotional Mm. and you know was like oh I'm sorry and then I had you know 30 prisoners telling me it's all right to cry (laughs) (laughs) he said you in grip yeah (laughs) so um that was amazing and um yeah, let's see, the debrief. Um, yeah, just so much profound respect for Jacques um, and the work that he's doing. Um, yeah, anyone else want to talk about the debrief? I don't, I, yeah. Was it a useful process having been in the, in the, in the other parts of the experience up till that point to have that time to, yeah. yeah. definitely anchor and integrate a little bit before you went back out into the... Yeah. yeah. And the experience dissipates a bit. Yeah. 
Did Jacques make any recommendations or give you any teaching after seeing it? <clears throat> well, I asked, I asked Jacques, um, In the debrief, what what would you what would you what kind what teachings what would you say to new volunteers or chaplains, you know that you can remember from your life experience when you started and how, yeah, what can you share with us that could be helpful for us? And I don't remember exactly the details of the story, but I th- I think I think that the gist of it was, you'll make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow hearing it from him was a, had a sort of sort of flavor to it I mean he gave us he told us a story and everything but um, you won't always know what to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um, just yeah, a couple of thoughts on that. Well, for one thing, the prisoner who was about to be released after 32 years was, I was sitting next to him and I had one of the most sort of, a sort of funny, intense moment where at one of the breaks he turned to me and told me the details of his crime and then said, as a person close to God, what advice can you give me that I can take with me for the rest of my life as I leave here? <laughs> 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 the, re- the reason that comes to mind is, is sort of like my worst oh, Just a little question there. <laughs> Joining this program was like, <laughs> well, in what, what Jacques said, I think when he was saying you're going to make mistakes, is I think the second part of the story was like, be authentic, you know, because he was saying at the beginning, you know, he was really nervous and someone kind of a prisoner called him on it. Like, well, you seem, you seem nervous. <laughs> and he basically decided, you know, I can armor up and say, like, well, you know, say something back, or I can say, you know, the truth is I really want this to go well. I'm not that experienced with this. I really care about doing a good job and sort of, like, give a little vulnerability and sort of see how that works. And I, I, it was, this actually happened before he told that story, but because everyone had been modeling so much vulnerability, I felt like I was able to all these things flashed in my head of like, oh my God, what should I say in this moment? And then I just tried to really kind of think what was I actually experiencing as a person. And I, so I sort of, I, I qualified it by saying, you know, I'm, I'm a Buddhist chaplaincy student. I want to say that I, you know, wouldn't consider myself having a very strong relationship with God. So this might, you know, I sort of was honest with him about where I'm at. I'm in my training. I might not be a chaplain in the way that he was thinking about it. And then I tried to just give him a really real answer about what I was experiencing and what he was telling me. Um, But I thought it was sort of this nice two-part lesson (laughs) that I was experiencing as the days when I was like, you're going to, you know, you're not going to know what to do and that's okay if you show up really authentically, you're going to learn the lessons you need to learn, and people can see that you're you're being real. I think, uh, but yeah, I've debriefed for like six hours with a friend after this day. <laughs> take the take the microphone away from me. <laughs> that's nicely said. <laughs> um, that's really interesting because I haven't 
debriefed with anyone. <laughs> so I've, it's all been inside me. Uh, so I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to debrief. Um, one really, really powerful, powerful, powerful thing for me was they would chant this number really powerfully. Blah, 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 blah. And it is a large number, and um, it really impressed me. I was like, whoa, this is powerful. And I didn't know what it was. And so I finally asked someone, and it's the number of all their years of mm. internment, uh, which made it even more powerful for me. <clears throat> that they would do that. <laughs> that they would take ownership of that. And that they would, the power that went into that of taking responsibility for what that was. Whew, wow. Um, and um, I have a difficulty with the, 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 the term prisoner. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. It's, I just, and I don't know. But, um, um, when this guy told his story and went into detail, I was in a very similar situation, and mine went the other way. And I could really see what that moment of passion, what that moment was. It wasn't who he was. It just took over him for that second, and it changed his life forever. And I saw the remorse. I saw the shame. I felt it. And um, one, of the, one of the other guys said, look up. Because he wouldn't look up. He wouldn't look up. And one of the guys said, look up. And he looked up for a second and then he went back down. And I don't know if it was a result of telling his story or if that's the way he felt because I was only there for that moment. And I don't know if this was appropriate or not, but I went up to him afterwards and I said, you know, my, I was in a similar situation and it was just this fate that got me out of it. And I really saw what it could have been. Um, I felt awkward walking across the yard because I was in a clothes, regular clothes, that I was there for a couple hours, and I was in their territory. And I know it's my stuff, but I just felt awkward. Um, and they really appreciated that we were there they really appreciated that we cared enough they really appreciated that somebody was there for them um, and, and I find that in, in other places other prisons and jails that I go to that the guys just you know, really appreciate it. 
And, um, yeah, it was, it was surreal. Uh, we're in the parking lot, and there's San Francisco Bay. I mean, right across, there's this beautiful skyline. And we're sitting in a parking lot with barbed wire. What's up with that? You know, how do I, how do I wrap my head around that? Um, it was just surreal for me. Um, and, you know, this is, these, there, there are hundreds of guys that want to get in the script program. There are hundreds. Because they want, they want to come across, they want, they want another way of life. They know there's something there, and they want it. And that is, you know, some people go, why do you, why do you go to, you know, Elmwood? Why do you go to these places? And I said, because the guys that come to these groups want to be there. Not everybody in prison wants to be in these groups. But these guys do. These are special guys. And that's the way I see them. And that's why I want to be there. And that's why, um, um, you know, I'd love to work with GRIP, but uh, I'm struggling in this program, so I don't know how I could ever get into GRIP. Uh, and I haven't said this to anyone, and this may have been my imagination, I don't know. But when we were walking out of the trailers, I looked over to my right, and there was this huge jar of condoms. At least that's what I thought I saw. I may be totally crazy. Maybe it's all in my mind. And it just made it all the more real for me. What, what it's like. And again, it could be all in my head. So, yeah, that's my experience. Thank you, Dale. Um, Jennifer? There are condom dispensers in San Quentin. There are condom dispensers in San Quentin. That wasn't your imagination. So I have two words in my head, and it's appropriate response, which is a Zen term, part of my dharmology, if you will. Um, so in, in when viewing, when beholding, when hearing and seeing something, you know, how do we respond? Right? You know, um, skillfully. Um, and I have this sense in the moment, kind of like I had after we went to the anatomy lab, like, can we offer a response to the people there? You know, particularly, I'm thinking about that if somebody might write a letter, you know, to kind of complete the circle, if you will. Does that seem at all like a good idea or a crazy idea? We could do it for the other program, too, that people went to. Usually, Jack asks the people who go in to send a little statement back what it was like or some statement to the prisoners. And then they include that. He includes that in the... They have a tribal book that they make at the end of the year and the statements from the chaplain students go into it. So I guess he didn't ask this time, but if uh, I think your idea is very good, so I don't know. So I planning to write something on my own. Okay. I'd be happy if, if people want. I can write on our behalf. 
you know, that's funny because I don't remember him asking that, but when you said that, it's, all of a sudden it sounded familiar, so maybe I was in a, he did, and I was in a state that I didn't hear it. So let's do that. Are we agreeing that's a nice idea? Okay, great. So, um, are there any are there any people here who would like to contribute to that effort? Beth, Cater, Joe, Dow, Phil. You moved the one for. Uh, uh, are you, did you all go on the same trip or you went on different trips? Two different trips. Great, super. So who went to San Quentin? People over there. And then Cater and Phil went to Soledad? You went to Soledad? Okay, great, super. Okay, so um, please work it out. <laughs> who, 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 who's going to be the kind of the coordinator for each group? We could. Um, when, are they, when are they graduating? Because I think that... They graduate next weekend at Soledad. Yeah, so it needs to be there before they graduate. Otherwise, they're not going to be together. And then... I was wondering if anybody's going to that, because we didn't get an email. I, I am going personally to the graduation at Soledad on the 24th. So you can, you can bring something. And then uh, at St. Quentin, it's relatively soon, right? I don't know when. The date is so. Anyway, I don't think I think waiting for next time, next meeting, it might be too late. Dave is a coordinator for San Quentin for Soledad, and who can who volunteers to be a coordinator for the San Quentin kind of gathering of statements or doing something? Is somebody willing to do that? Because I think otherwise it's going to be hard to sort it out. Now not a coordinator for it. Great. So thank, thank you. you thank you. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. It's a lot. Was there more you wanted Thank to you. do? I kind of opened up a big topic there. Uh, no, I think that's about we're about at our time. And so if anyone has any anything unsaid or unfinished that they would like to say as we wrap this this up, um, I don't want to leave that undone, but we are approaching the end of the time. Um, this is less reflective and more just uh, inf- information, I guess. The term prisoner, an inmate, um, I think someone told us at San Quentin that the men prefer to be called prisoners, and I think what they prefer, the preference is to be called prisoner rather than inmate. So given the choice between those two, they'd rather be called prisoners. But they're people, and I think the higher preference is not to be labeled in that way at all um, because like, they honestly are a group of people that are separated by geography from the rest of us. Like We're all different things. And we're, they're not all of the criminals or, or harm doers in our society are in prison. And using a term like prisoner inmate kind of has that connotation. 
So when you work with groups that spend time going into prisons for a variety of reasons, you'll find that that culture has a tendency to want to, to remove that language in general. A term that's popular is men in blue. For me, that also kind of has a little bit of separation. Uh, a lot of us tend to say group participants, the guys in the group, the people who are there. So I just wanted to highlight that, those nuances. Thank you. One other detail is, I think Jock said, there are 2,000 people on the wait list for the program at San Quentin. Incredible. Uh, yeah, to bounce back to the uh, previous conversation, uh, my experience, I went in in 2012, <clears throat> and I sent an email, and I was the only one, and Jock was really grateful. And then in Soledad last December, Kim, uh, the direct, the um, the main facilitator there, um, expressed for it's great for individuals to send things that she could read. Okay, so regarding St. Quentin, um, the, the folks who there, incarcerated folks, would be better served if you could respond immediately, individually, in my opinion. But that's the way I've seen it done in GRIP, because that way, you know, because next week's graduation. Um, for the December tribe, for the tribe we visited in September, but man, they got their biggest thing in their life. You know, it's like their family is coming. It's never, it's unprecedented in, 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 in prison to have such an event. So that'd be wonderful for me to put that together, but it's kind of too late. So for St. Quentin, I think individual heartfelt responses to how it impacted them would be in order. Yeah, that's perfect. So each of you that would decide to write a sentence. Done and done. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for everyone for sharing your experience. All right. Thank you. Okay. We're going to spend a switch now to something else. And we're going to spend next 35 minutes talking about uh, Dharmologies. And uh, I appreciated, I forget who said it, but someone brought up in the discussion about San Quentin that um, uh, when, if, if you're looking at that for the Dharma in that experience, if you're looking at what, what is, how do we practice in that situation, how do we bring our practice situation, then in the background of those kinds of concerns is our Dharmology, is our understanding of what practice is, what the Dharma is, and, um, and kind of exploring it in that context. So Dharmology is not very far away. It's just a big word you've probably never heard of before you did this program. Um, but it's kind of our, our the view, the understanding, the the um, kind of the Buddhology that we have that uh, informs us. And as a chaplain, uh, it's kind of expected that you are, have a dharmology. You have an understanding, articulated understanding that you understand where you come from. It's taking responsibility for who you are, what you come from, your the foundation upon which you stand, the orientation that you have, that you kind of understand what it is. And the word dharmology refers specifically like to Buddhist view. Not everyone shares everything that's Buddhist. And so their orientation, their view of how they do their chaplaincy work might have non-Buddhist elements. Uh, and, and so, but then I think that the chaplain should be able to recognize that, to know when they come from Buddhism, when they come from their own experience, and, uh, and to be responsible for that. And not that you have to always be a Buddhist, 
But if you show up as a Buddhist chaplain, uh, people will look at you that way. They'll interpret you that way. They have their own Buddhology, their own understanding of what it means to be a Buddhist. Some of them which is not right. Some of it which maybe is right in certain contexts. And so are you familiar with that? Do you know how to navigate that? Do you know what to bring? If uh, mostly you do chaplaincy, interfaith chaplaincy, and you don't really think of it so much in terms of uh, Buddhology, but they know you're a Buddhist chaplain, you might be asked to do a Buddhist service or to give a little Buddhist guided meditation, specifically represent Buddhism. And what do you represent? What is your background? What do you understand? So I think, I hope, we hope that uh, in writing your Dharmology, or I think maybe a few of you haven't quite written it because it's been challenging, um, in reflecting on it, thinking about it, uh, my hope is that it touches something which is precious for you, something that's maybe vulnerable for you, something that's important for you. And, um, and perhaps the more difficulty you had in writing it, the more difficulty because there was something very, maybe essential or deep inside that it's difficult to articulate and find words for. Um, so in chaplaincy training, writing something like this is done repeatedly because it's considered so important to really kind of get this down and a way of understanding ourselves. Maybe with the assumption that there's not a final answer. It's just layers and layers or it keeps opening up in new and new ways. And, and we deepen, we enrich, we get wiser and wiser about where we're coming from. So we offered you the opportunity to do your Dharmology and, um, and uh, I believe it's important exercise of this program. And I thought it would be good now for you all to share a little bit what that was like, uh, to be up against that and uh, what it was like reflecting on doing it, to the degree to which you did it, what it was like, what you learned from it, uh, what benefit did you get from grappling with this Dharmology. Um, so that's kind of a general topic, uh, and hopefully those general questions I just asked, you'll find yourself in how you want to respond and talk about it. We're not, I'm look, not looking for a particular answer, or it's not a test, but just to, for you to kind of flesh out. And the way, the way to do it is to form groups of four and, um, and go around the circle. And don't say everything you can possibly say about doing it when it's your turn. Uh, just say one or two things. Maybe just really one, one aspect of it, one perspective on doing it, so that you can hear the other people, what it was like for them, and it comes back to you, and you have a chance to say something or explore it or reflect on it uh, based on what you've heard, and maybe you'll end up sharing something that you hadn't thought about before, what it was like that way. So it's also a, poss- a process of discovery that you wouldn't do if you just simply had a monologue where you mostly talked about the things you already know about it, having done it. Does it make some sense? Yes. So it's about what it was like writing. Yeah. That yes. It wasn't about what I wrote. It wasn't what I wrote. I think it, that, that, that the content might come out because the, the, different, the, the relationship between content and what it was like are intimately connected. It can be. And so you, it might be about the content and the, the surprises you had, and the surprises you discovered in writing the content or the challenges the content had or something. So, so it's quite a broad what I'm asking you how you find yourself with this. And so it's so broad that as you go around, it might take have a life of its own as it opens up. Is that clear? So um, how about different groups of four than you had before? <laughs>